Well, I moved our series through John to tonight again this week, so if you'll take your Bibles and join me in John chapter 16, I appreciate that. John chapter 16, as we continue going verse by verse. Through this gospel account, remember from last week, we saw that God has given us the unbelievable privilege of coming before Him in prayer. Amen. Amen. We have access to God through Christ. We don't have access because of who we are, but we have access because of who He is. And I hope you're taking advantage of that access that we have as a child of God. For today, let's begin by reading verses 28 through 33 of John chapter 16. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said unto Him, Lo, now speakest Thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that Thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask Thee. By this we believe that Thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's a great verse, amen. Amen. Jesus states in the beginning of verse 28, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. And once again here, we find Jesus emphasizing that He was no ordinary man. And this is a truth which Jesus continues to hammer to His disciples and really throughout His ministry, we find Jesus making reference to this fact. And it's a truth that John, who is the penman of this account, is trying to get across to the reader. In fact, this book opens up in John 1.1 where it says, "...in the beginning was the Word." And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the idea that this book is trying to get you to see one of the major themes is that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And that's a truth that we need to make sure we understand. It's a truth that the redeemed should never grow tired of hearing. And it's a truth that the redeemed should keep giving to the lost. We have to keep proclaiming the simple truths of the Bible. I believe there are certain things we are told over and over again because we must have the foundation solid before we build upon the foundation, before we start building up. And listen, don't worry about trying to expound deeper truths to unbelievers until they first understand who Jesus Christ is. Don't get caught up in all that debate. They need to know who Christ is. They need to understand that Christ was God in the flesh. Because here's what the Bible says. Any who deny that, they're antichrist. That's what John will write over in 1 John and 2 John. That any who deny that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh is the spirit of antichrist. They're antichrist. And then in the other verse it says they're a deceiver. And Antichrist. So why would you try to sit there and explain other truths 
when they can't even get the most fundamental truth right. Everybody with me on that? So we need to press these simple truths like never before because the foundations in this country have been eroded away. There is no longer just a generic respect for the things of God. There's no longer just a generic knowledge of God. And we have to keep pressing these truths to the lost like never before. We have to keep doing this because we live in this internet age which the availability of knowledge is just right at your fingertips. And you can just start clicking away and getting all this knowledge like never before. And people are digging into truths that they really shouldn't be trying to wrap their head around because they don't have the simple truths right first. And so we got to understand the day in which we live. If we're going to rightly grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then we have to have these basic things nailed down. They're fundamental. They're foundational. So Jesus here in our text is reemphasizing that when he was born, he had no earthly father. Amen. By the way, if you don't believe Christ was born of the Virgin Mary... You don't have the salvation of this Bible. And so he's emphasizing he had no earthly father. Mary conceived him because the Holy Ghost overshadowed her. Now, listen, if you grew up in churches like this, that may not sound like a big statement to you. But do you understand that there is a big move out there saying that Mary was impregnated because as girls will do, she hung around the Roman soldiers? You understand that's being said and that's being taught? And so it's a foundational truth. And Jesus here is saying, look, I'm no ordinary man. I had no earthly father. He was conceived because the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. And Gabriel said, that thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. God the Son robed Himself in flesh. And by stating that He came forth from the Father, it means that He came on a mission from the Father. Amen. He came to do the Father's will. The Father's will was for Him to redeem mankind to Himself. Jesus came to this earth born of a virgin because He could not be born from the seed of fallen man and that sinful nature. He had to be born sinless. He then had to live a sinless life in order to be the perfect sacrifice. God requires blood. We just heard it sang about. God requires blood, and only perfect blood could wash away our sins. Jesus gave His life a ransom for many by being tortured for all the sin of mankind. He was then buried. Three days later, He rose again, conquering death, hell, and sin. He then ascended back to the Father, where He is now at the Father's right hand, making intercession for us. And that proves that He completed the Father's will and that God accepted His offering and that God was well pleased with what Christ did because now He's seated right back with the Father. Uh, And now Christ is waiting until His enemies be made His footstool. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And by way of application from that verse, I want to say this. Though you and I have not been born sinless, 
like Christ at our physical birth, we who are in Christ have been born again. And that part of us that has been made alive is the Spirit, and the Spirit can never sin. When you get over there in 1 John and you read some of that, that sounds like, man, I'm supposed to live sinless. That's the Spirit living in you. Anyway, I don't have time to get into that. But our sinful flesh did not disappear. I mean, you still battle your flesh. I mean, it's still there. But we've been made alive in Christ, and in the new birth, we also have come forth from the Father to fulfill His will. And I want to tell you tonight, God has a plan for each and every one of you. God has a purpose for your life. It is not an accident. There is a purpose that God has for each and every one of you. You are unique in the eyes of God. And He has a plan for your life. And you may not understand that now. But I can tell you now, looking back, you can see how God was there leading the whole time. And you just got to trust the Lord. And so we've been sent on a mission by the Heavenly Father. We are to spread the news of what Christ's mission was. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're to preach salvation through Christ alone. Through His finished work in taking our place on the cross. We have been charged with the Great Commission. We are now ambassadors for Christ. And all an ambassador is going to do is speak what they are told to speak. They don't really get to think for themselves. Jesus came into the world to do the Father's will. And I want you to understand, we are left here in the world to do the Father's will. And I hope you're doing that tonight. And as we see what Jesus says next here, I leave the world and go to the Father. If He was sent from the Father to complete a work, then it stands to reason when that work was complete, He would return to the Father, the one who sent Him. Once His mission was complete, Jesus accomplished His Father's will. He would return back to the Father. And in this, we see that, and I love this point, and in this example, we see we're just passing through. <laughs> this world is not my home. Hallelujah. In case you haven't noticed, the world's a mess. There's nothing here worth holding on to. There's nothing here worth setting your affection upon. Amen. Listen, we're just pilgrims. We're strangers. We don't fit in. We're just passing through. Heaven's our home. We've got a better place awaiting. Thank God. And it's not this sin-sick world. Jesus came to do a work and then He went back home. He was here to fulfill God's will, being obedient to the Father. And He was to bring glory and honor and praise to the Father. But I want to tell you this, even though we're just passing through, we're passing through with a purpose. Amen. Let's not forget that. It's not that we're just passing through and we sit down and take our ease in Zion, but we are passing through with a purpose. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. We are left here upon this earth to glorify the Father. We are still destined to go to the Father, even though we didn't come from the Father the way in which Christ did. We can learn from Christ's example that our physical death is not our final state. Because we know Jesus. We see in Jesus, in order for Him to return to the Father, He had to die. He had to go through death. If He was going to fulfill the Father's will 
and be accepted as the perfect sacrifice. The only way he was going back was through death. And we might as well get used to the idea that we're going to die one day. Amen. It's inevitable unless we are in that group that are raptured out. That'd be fine with me. But we have to have death in order to go to the Father. And we understand to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we don't have to fear death. We don't go looking for it in the sense that we're trying to hasten it. But we don't have to fear the fact that one day we're going to die. And the preacher was exactly right. A lot of people fear death. I think it's okay to maybe have some apprehension about some of the pain that might be involved. We don't have to fear death. It's just the portal to God. Hallelujah. So the only way Jesus was going to back was through death. Now, look at what these 11 remaining disciples say in verses 29 and 30. Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Now, there's some disagreement here as to whether or not this means they actually understand, or if they're just saying they understand. If you have kids, you understand that. Amen? Do you understand Do you actually understand? And so they're saying they understand, and there's some debate here, but it's my personal opinion that I don't think they fully grasp it all yet. The only reason I say that is based upon what Jesus says in the following verse, and we'll get there in a minute. But remember, these disciples, they're still thinking about an earthly kingdom. In their mind, it still doesn't make sense that the Messiah is going to have to die. So if they had fully understood... Jesus was going to die, then they would not have been surprised by the arrest of Jesus, which is about to take place. We're really close now to the betrayal of Christ. And, I, and, and again, look at verses 31 and 32 of what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and ye shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Isn't it amazing how quick life can change? It's amazing how quick things in our life can change. They just emphatically stated that they believed what Jesus was saying, but Jesus says, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, now is come, that they were going to forsake Him. It's amazing how we can talk a big game But in the hour of our temptation, how do we stand? A lot of people, when things are going good, say, I'm with you, Lord. But it's through the fire. It's through the hard times. And things can change in an instant. Life can turn on a dime. We can go from smooth sailing to rough seas. One phone call. One incident. One event can turn our world upside down. We can go from normal life to everything grinding to a halt and life being far different as we have seen with this virus. 
Look how much changed in an instant. Now, it seems to me what Jesus is saying is if you fully understood it all, then you would not forsake me in just a little while. Jesus says you're going to be scattered. You're going to go to your own. You're going to leave me alone. And another reason I don't think they fully understand it all yet is because before the sun rises on our text, the disciples will fail to pray for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If they truly understood what all Jesus was about to go through, then I think they would have been praying and not sleeping. But we're no different. We go about life, I've got to veer from my notes just a bit here, but we go about life like everything's fine. Everything that we have planned in our minds is going to come to pass. And then all of a sudden it changes very fast. And we realize what we should have been doing all along was praying. And sometimes even when we get into these hard times that we're in, these confusing times, these uncertain times, we still don't pray as we ought. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have fasted and prayed over what's going on? Well, what am I supposed to pray about? Do you understand? We haven't brought kids in on the van in over six weeks, I think. That ought to break your heart. Our choir hasn't been able to sing. We haven't been able to teach the Sunday school classes like we did. If we fully understood it all, and if we really grasped it, Don't you think we wouldn't sleep, but we would pray? Come on now. So we act like we've got it all together, but in reality, we really don't. Even after things change, here we are. Have you grown any closer to the Lord? Or do you just say like these disciples, yeah, I understand. Now I get it. But your actions don't. And I think we heard this morning... Actions speak louder than words. I want you to understand I'm not being overly critical of these disciples. Because even those who understand these fundamental truths that Jesus is trying to get through to them, even we who understand these things have maybe at times cowered in fear, been ashamed to make our profession of faith public, or refused to speak up when the Spirit prompted us. And I still maintain, had they fully understood all that Jesus was teaching, then they wouldn't have had a lapse of faith in such a critical hour. And if we fully understood the heart of God, then we wouldn't hesitate to walk with Him throughout our entire life, never faltering. But sad to say, we do stray from time to time. And in our hour, when we are straying, we need to do some soul searching. We need to find out what it is we truly believe. Because we can be just like these men and say, no, 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 that's what I believe. But then the faith is going to be tested. And in this case, it's going to be very soon. And that faith is going to be put through the fire. And that's when we're going to learn what we really believe. Where we really stand. We might even right now still be saying, Lord, now you speak plainly and you don't have to say, we don't have to ask you any. Do we really understand what God's heart is? Next we see Jesus says, 
Even though you will leave me alone, I am not really alone. Because the Father is with me. Isn't that a comfort? God was with Christ all the way up until the point when Christ became sin for us. And when the sin of the world was being placed upon Christ, He cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus cried that out that day because He was making a way for our salvation. And because He had to be forsaken of God in becoming sin for us. But the great thing about that is, you and I never have to say those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because He went through it for us. We don't have to say those things because the Bible says that He will never leave us nor forsake us. But there's an important point here when Jesus says, you shall leave me alone. As strange as it may seem, God had a purpose in Christ being left alone. Because our salvation could only be wrought by Christ alone. He alone has to be all sufficient for our ransom to be paid in full. And it could be that certain truths had been eluding these disciples until after Christ's resurrection so that there would be no doubt in their mind that they had nothing to do with it. Amen. We have nothing to do with our salvation. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It is all Christ. And Jesus was left alone because He alone had to drink the cup. We couldn't do it for Him. And so Jesus is left alone to show that He's all-sufficient. And our salvation has nothing to do with human intervention. Why in the world we would think a man who can dunk you below water saves you? Why do we think if you come forward and sign a card and join a church that somehow now you're right with God? We sing in the song, I Stand Amazed. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them His very own. He bore my burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Now I want you to let that thought sink in because there was no one to go with Him. Out of the humanity He came to save, none went with Him. But He went on anyway. Praise God. He was dying for us and we weren't there for Him. He was beaten for us. He bled for us. He was nailed to the cross for us. He died for us. And He did it all alone. Romans 5, 7, and 8 say, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for sinners who wouldn't even stand with Him. By the way, you wouldn't have either. We are unwilling, rebellious, but He still saves us. Therefore, He is all of our life. He is all of our hope. He is all of our victory. And by the way, just a quick side note. Why do you do what you do for the Lord? If no one else goes with you, and all others forsake you, will you still be doing what you're doing now for God? 
It's easy to sing, though none go with me, still I will follow. But it can be very difficult in practice sometimes when certain circumstances arise. Amen. Now Jesus tells them they will fail. But then look at what he says in verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In verse 32, we can see that Jesus alone is our salvation. And in verse 33, we can see that Jesus alone is our peace. He says, in me, you might have peace. You will not, you cannot find the peace which passes understanding by going to look for it in the world. I found what Matthew Henry wrote here to be an interesting insight. Listen to what he wrote. It has been the lot of Christ's disciples to have more or less tribulation in this world. Men persecute them because they are so good, and God corrects them because they are no better. Men design to cut them off from the earth, and God designs by affliction to make them meet for heaven. And so between both, they shall have tribulation, end quote. I found that very interesting. In other words, the world wants to give us tribulation. God gives us tribulation. And there's a reason for it all in what God does. Tribulation is a unique work of God in our lives. And it's hard to understand that sometimes. But Romans 5 verses 3 through 5 says, But we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. It's almost a mystery how tribulations work for our good. Especially when we're going through it. In tribulations, we're reminded of who we are. How frail we are. How insufficient we are. And how much we need God all the time. Psalm 119, 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have kept thy word. Psalm 119, verse 71 says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Psalm 119, verse 75 says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. It's a work of God in our lives. And I'm trying not to get hung up here, because we could do a whole series on tribulation in our lives. But I want to encourage you, just keep trusting God through your tribulation. I don't know all that, that all of you are going through, but I know some of you are going through some very deep waters. And you just need to keep your eyes on the Lord. He has a purpose in it all. Notice how Jesus seeks to comfort them, though, by saying, be of good cheer. Which means to have boldness, courage. To give you an idea of the fuller meaning of this Greek word, do you remember when the disciples... We're in the boat. Jesus said, go to the other side. And when they're in the boat, the waves began to beat upon the boat. And Jesus comes walking on the sea. <laughs> I would love to have been there that day. But when they saw that, they thought it was a spirit. And the Bible says they were afraid. Amen. They cried out for fear. I think I would too if I saw somebody walking on the water. Now, listen to Matthew 14, 27. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying... Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. The context there is, don't be afraid. 
And so when we apply that to the verse here, verse 33 in our text, we can see that even though we have tribulations, even though they will arise in our life, we're not to be afraid when we're going through those things, but we are to be of good cheer. We're to take courage in the Lord. Boy, I'm scared of this virus. Okay? But are you of good cheer? You don't have to be afraid. Again, I'm not saying don't be prudent. But we have to trust the Lord. We have to understand that He's in command. That we can have courage. That we can have strength. That we don't have to live in fear. Now, what Jesus says here, be of good cheer. Are you catching that that's a command? He's not saying, you know, it'd be nice if you were of good cheer. He says, be of good cheer. It's a command. And I hope you've learned that what God commands, He gives you the ability to obey. We can still be of good cheer despite the circumstances. Because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Listen, that's where you should have said amen and everybody got up and run a lap. Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. Our Lord wants us to be of good cheer. Even when the world's tribulations beat upon our life. Now, we all have a decision to make when tribulations come our way. We can either enjoy the peace that Christ offers, or we can turn to other means to try to get our minds off of the tribulation. Some people will try to distract themselves through their tribulation so that they don't have to think about it as much. Well, if I can just get away, and if I can just distract myself, it won't be as bad. Some will watch something to get their minds off of it. Some of you have probably binge-watched a season or two in one sitting of your favorite TV show. Maybe it's because you had to get your mind off of something that God was trying to do in your life. Some people, they turn to their hobbies or they turn to a project. Maybe a building project, working on a car, and whatever women do, I don't know. Some people try to distract themselves. Here's what people do when tribulations come. They look for an out. Or you can try to drown it out through substance abuse. You ever met that person who says when they get home from work, I just need to have a drink? Some people drowned it out through alcohol. Some people drowned it out through substance abuse, through drugs. Some people drowned it out through the wrong kinds of food. And we just try to drown out our troubles and our tribulations. Or you can just give up. Some people just resign themselves that this is how life's going to be. It's never going to be any better. And woe is me. This is just the way it is. And they just throw in the towel and they give up. When tribulations come. But none of these approaches are the right ones. None of this is what the Bible says to do. None of these things can bring lasting peace. These means of Dealing with problems demonstrate the attitude that says God is not able to do in my life what I need Him to do. Are you you catching this? This is important. Because when tribulations come and you decide to say, well, I'm going to turn to this, that, or the other, you're saying that God is not able to do what He's promised that He will do. 
He says, in me you will have peace. You're not going to have peace in the television. I don't understand people that watch dramas anyway. I got enough drama in life. Hey, man. We should expect the lost to behave and respond this way, but not the child of God. Because in Christ, we are more, in con- more than conquerors through him that loved us. Don't turn to a substitute, but stay with God. He has overcome the world. 1 John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 say, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Ties back to that foundational truth that it all started with. Aren't you glad we're on the winning side tonight? If you haven't noticed yet through this virus, the world has lost its mind. We can get into all the conspiracy theories and we can talk about end times and all that stuff. But I want you to understand it's going to wax worse and worse. That's what the Bible says. Are you still going to be of good cheer? Come what may, Christ has already overcome the world. And all you have to do is keep your eyes on Him and your faith in Him. Let me ask you this question. But are you attracting people to Christ through the good cheer you have in Christ through all that is going on in the world? That's what we heard at the end of this morning's message. Does your life and the way you handle tribulation, the way you handle what takes place in the world, do people look at that and go, man, I don't know what you got, but I need some of what you got. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We're God's children. We should start acting like it. Or are you turning to means which can never bring peace? Our reaction as God's children is what will make the difference in life, in the lives of others. If we say we have peace with God, then we need to actually live like we have peace with God. Amen. And as we see in this last verse, peace, get this now, if you've tuned me out and you've fallen asleep, peace doesn't mean the absence of tribulation. But peace means the presence of Christ. If you don't get anything else, please get that from verse 33. You're going to have tribulation, Jesus said. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. If you aren't experiencing peace, then you aren't experiencing Christ. I've got a saying that I say from time to time. And it's, my God is bigger than, name the problem. My God is bigger than the virus. Not saying we're not going to catch it. Not saying some of us won't die from it. But my God is bigger than that. If you don't know peace, then you don't know Christ. Because Christ is the difference. And when you know Christ, you can be of good cheer. Because you're walking with the one who has overcome the world. And I'd rather walk beside the greatest warrior that's ever been. If I'm going to go through the battle. 
Might as well walk with him. Not this chump who's living in the world trying to tell me what I need to do. Trying to offer me this or that and this substitute and this substance. It's in Christ. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Don't live in fear today. But be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world. Let's pray.